0: everyone, this is Rob and you're listening to Enjoying the Journey Podcast. It's sunny here in Iowa today, which is awesome because last week it was negative 26 and when it's that cold out, your attitude gets cold or should I say, mine was a little annoyed. Why? For lots of reasons. Not being able to go outside, my body hurting because it was so cold. I said it was minus 26 outside. I know I've shared little bits and pieces of my everyday adversity of living with muscular dystrophy and needing help, but for the past few weeks, I've decided to let you in a little bit more. Now I've got great help, but all those helping who have good intentions simply annoyed me. Maybe not them personally, maybe it was more of the fact that I need help and I don't want it. As this annoyed feeling has been there for the last few weeks, and as it was there a little bit this past Sunday, I guess God decided it was time for me to look at it a little differently because he spoke to my heart. It wasn't a loud, audible voice, more of a whisper. And he was saying, look at the blessings in your situation, Rob. You might be thinking, Rob, you're disabled. You can't do so many things. How is there blessings in that? Hear me out. Because I can't walk by myself, I get to hold on to my wife every day. Because I can't get in the car by myself, I get to have my son help me which means a couple of moments together every day. Because I can't go to a speaking engagement alone, my son becomes my traveling partner, which means more time spent together. Because, 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 keep filling in the blank and all of those becauses allows my family to be more involved with each other, whether they wanna be or not, which, if I take a step back, brings blessings to my life. Friends, I don't know where you're at today, but if you're feeling annoyed, take a moment to pause, take a breath and ask God to reveal some blessings in your life. What's so cool about today is the person God used to whisper in my ear Sunday is the pastor I get to interview today on Enjoying the Journey. I hope your hearts touched like mine was as we talk about ministry, kids, kids in ministry, striving to have Jesus as your first love, and so much more. Thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome to Enjoying the Journey today. I am excited that we get to sit down with Pastor Jeff Mose from Sunnybrook Church in Sioux City, Iowa. Pastor Jeff, I just want to kick it off with how long
1: have you been a pastor? Well, Rob, I've been um, in ministry for 37 years. Uh Uh, I actually started out um, in a little church in uh, Butler, Pennsylvania, where I was uh, minister of youth and Christian education. I Came to know Christ at a very early age for those Sunday school teachers out there. Fifth grade, I remember kneeling at a little red chair in a Sunday school class with my Sunday school teacher to receive Christ as my Savior. And uh, really, God's been so faithful ever since then. I got involved in a youth ministry program where people really discipled me and encouraged me. Mm. And already in high school years, I felt a call to ministry. Mm. Uh, Then went off to college, graduated from Wheaton, and then went right into full-time ministry, did youth ministry for about five or six years before I went on to seminary and pastored a church in Chicago and now here in Sioux City, Iowa, continuing uh, to do what God's called us to do and excited about it.
0: That's awesome. My my dad uh, is a pastor, was for, what, 20, 20 plus years? So when I hear people saying, I want to be a pastor, I'm like, no, no, let's let's rethink this. But no, I'm sure you have plenty of stories of what it's like to be a pastor so often I think church congregational goers, myself included, can forget what it's like to be a pastor and the pressures and and sometimes the heartache that goes with it. I, I know that currently you're here in Sioux City. It's called Sunnybrook Church, wonderful church. My wife and I have been able to to worship here from time to time. Got a lot of good things going. You came here in 2002. Now it's what I would consider a large church. What was it like back in 2002, and, and how have you— kind of got to where you're at?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and it's a long story, and I'll try to give you the highlights, uh, so to speak. Uh, But I was dealing with some of the pain of my own life. Uh, Mm. In a former ministry in Chicago, uh, I had come to a point of my own sin and my own failure and not sure I would continue on in ministry, to be quite honest with you. Our uh, entire family was kind of reeling from what took place. I, mm. It was a juncture in my life where I actually thought about jumping out of ministry. If I hadn't had godly counsel around me, uh, my best friends saying, don't you dare. God's gifted you and mm. called you to ministry. You stay with where God's called you. Because I really thought about jumping ship. I knew uh, ministry was difficult. I had been sure. through the pain of transitioning a church that is what I would call more uh, self-centered to to, to being community-centered and wanting to reach people for Christ. I knew the pain of that. I had walked through it in my former church. It had taken a toll on me. Hmm. And then when all of this happened, then I actually got a call here from uh, the head of the search committee. Okay. And their, their opening statement to me was was a fascinating one. They said, listen, we just haven't seen... This is a good church. Uh, it was known as Morningside Reformed Church at that point. Oh, okay. I said, so, listen, it's a good church. But we haven't seen adult baptisms, we haven't seen people come to Christ, Mm. and we've got a heart for that. And we know you've transitioned churches, we're interested in you coming here to do that. So we talked a little bit about it, what it looked like. They had been to Willow and some other places, seen what um, a ministry that was really focused on reaching people for Christ was like. So, so I remember asking them, I said, listen, can you, can you take a congregational vote? Because I've been through transition before. I said, listen, it's painful. Right. And everybody says they're on board, but they're not really. I said, can you take a vote? They said, yeah, we'll do that. So they came back and they said to me, listen, we had a congregational vote. 95% of the people are on board. And I said, wow. wow, That's incredible. Well, when I arrived, Rob, I would say it was a 50-50 <laughs> uh, thing. And my line always is, you know, the church was 500 people. Under my great leadership in the first two years, it went from 500 to 350. Wow. And I inadvertently planted a church, uh, (laughs) people that were frustrated with me and frustrated with the direction of the church. And to be quite honest with you, the first two years of transition were painful. Hmm. Um, You know, we got called all kinds of names of, boy, you're taking away our church, you uh, are really hurting us. You're, you're more concerned about lost people than you are about us, and it, it just mm-hmm. was a very painful time for me and my family. We had letters written to us, uh, you know, all kinds of things that went on that I, I could tell you about. It was a difficult time. It was a time I had to do some soul searching. In fact, I often tell the story I was making my way home after preaching one Sunday, and I remember saying, Got to quit. Mm. I I'm, quit. I'm done, Uh, people don't like me, this is not going well, they they don't want to transition, they don't want to reach people in this community for Christ. That's what I was called to do. I I must have missed your call. I thought this is what you want. And and I remember clearly, and again, as clearly as the impression of my mind, God saying, listen, this is my church, not your church. And Mm. I placed you here, and and there's a reason. So, uh, you know, we stuck with it. Uh, even though the church whittled down to about 300, 350 people, uh, pretty soon we started telling life change stories. Pretty soon people came to know Christ. Pretty soon we were able to transition it in such a way that we got some momentum and ministry and staff with the same heart. Leadership was always on board. Mm. Had an incredibly group of good, godly elders that surrounded us, and that was very helpful. And then as we started telling life change stories, then more and more people, and as we pushed out our tentacles into the community, uh, we just saw some great things happen, and God was faithful. And to this day, now we can tell that story of yeah. uh, how, when you're faithful, uh, God seems to provide and show up and does some great things. So on this side of it, it looks great. Right. But a lot of pain to get there. How old were your were your kids at that time? Yeah, that w- that was probably the most difficult part. My oldest daughter was 14. My other daughter was 12. Mm. And then we had two sons that were probably around six and eight at that point in time. And wow. um, so moving them, especially my oldest daughter, I honestly thought she'd never forgive me. Right. Um, you know, she was hurt. She was wounded. She was a little more shy. My other daughter, who's now on staff here, was a little bit uh, more outgoing and mm-hmm. her making new friends. But it, it was difficult on my oldest daughter. But. Uh, eventually, and just God's care for that whole situation, you know, she got on the swim team, captain of the swim team, made friends, found her spouse for life Wow! here. And uh, so, yeah, in in hindsight, God met every single need, but um, it, it wasn't easy.
0: Well, I like that you bring up, because I was going to ask mm-hmm. you, you know, when you're in Chicago or wherever you were coming from before this, and they reach out to you. Yeah, 95% are on board. I, I, you're supposed to be here. So often I think in the Christian world, as Christian leaders, individuals, we see all these lights that look green. It's go, 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 go. Then you end up there, and it's like, did I totally miss yeah. that traffic light? Because it's not fun. It's not going the way it's supposed to be. It's hard. It's hard on my family. It's hard on my children. It's And, and you're second-guessing all the decisions that you just made. And how do you, if a listener is in that moment right now, how do you know
1: when to quit and when to go? Yeah, it's a a tough question. It really is. My opinion is we quit too soon. And I'm Mm -hmm. speaking of myself. So for me, at a moment in time like that, I had to go back. And I'm a journaler. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back and go, listen, I remember the day I sensed God called me here. I remember when they voted and it was unanimous that I Mm -hmm. would come. I remember me praying about it I remember time in the Word and here's what God said to me. I had to go back to those times and go, no, 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 I know this is how you feel because emotions really get a hold of us. And I had to go back and root myself into what the truth of God's calling was, is yes, He spoke, yes, He did call, yes, my wife was on board, yes, my kids miraculously, we're on board. So you you can't deny that in the middle of all of the pain that's going on. I I just think we get carried away with emotions. I I do think, though, and this is my opinion, I think there's an internal and an external call. So internally, I got a sense, you know what, as I've prayed, as I've spent time on a word, this is what I sense God's doing in my spirit. I think He's calling me to this. but I also think there's an external call. So I got to ask my wife, my kids, I even think the congregation mm. because if there had been a point in time where I felt from my wife, kids, congregation, hey, we don't want you here anymore, mm. then for me that would be a little bit of an external call of God where you go, you know, not only, maybe I feel this way, but externally, people are not confirming the call of God in my life. That's why sure. I think always having godly counsel around you is good. And at that point in time, especially my accountability partner and other people were saying, stay the course. This is where God's called you, stay the course. But I think if that had been different, then I think there's a point in time people might say, you know, maybe it's time to move on. Well, I'm glad you
0: listened to your, you know, those close to you. I'm glad that you stayed with the call, stayed here at Sunnybrook. Like I said, we've just been introduced recently to Sunnybrook. I've heard of it before, but actually to worship here. Uh, has just been a a wonderful experience. So now you're going on 19 years?
1: Yeah, yeah. This will be the beginning of our 20th year here at Sunnybrook. It's hard to believe.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So your kids, 14, 12, or now I'm going to forget all the ages, 6 and 8, the boys were uh, something like that. So when you were here going through some, you've been a pastor for a long time. You've gone through the transitions. You've gone through the heartbreak. Did you ever dream of your kids being in ministry (laughs) with you?
1: Um, I don't think I did, to be quite honest with you. It's not that I wouldn't have loved that, uh, but I think for a pastor, maybe we have lower expectations. I, I'm thrilled to be able to say that I have four adult children who all know Christ as their Savior, mm. love the Lord, love the church, mm. and are involved in ministry. For me, that's huge. Sure, uh, I know a lot of uh, friends that have children that want nothing to do with the Lord and especially nothing to do with the church because mm. they've been wounded or their sure. family's been wounded by the church. So uh, I, I had always just had low expectations. Listen, when I get them to love the Lord and love the local church, I'm happy. Um, but then in God's providence, uh, one of my daughters, Lydia, which is my second daughter, my oldest daughter is a pharmacist. Okay. Uh, she actually has moved now to Minneapolis. But uh, Lydia, who had gone into teaching, had always said to me, Dad, I'm, I'm sensing a call to ministry, to which my response always was, that's great, honey. I, yeah. I hope a church hires you. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, there was just no way at that point in time yeah. uh, I gave any thought to her being on staff here. I, I think we've all looked before at other pastors that have brought maybe a son or a daughter sure. on, and it's usually been a train wreck. Right. Uh, it's seldom do I know you know, stories that have turned out well. So it really never crossed my mind. I, I would always, in fact, she'll say to this day, Dad, every time I asked you for a job, you'd say no. <laughs> um, but eventually, our executive director, who does the hiring here, said, "Can I just have your permission to sit down, and just get to know Lydia and talk with her a little bit?" Uh, and he did. And I said, "Listen, I, I I want nothing to do with this. I'm not going to hire. I'm not going to be involved in the process. You, you want to do it and take it to the elders. That's a different story." So mm-hmm. he did. And then she came on staff, and her husband did for a little while as well. He's still very involved in the ministry here, but he's now the coach uh, of Morningside Basketball. Oh, cool. Um, And so she came on staff. And again, uh, you know, for me, it was a very nervous time. It really was. Would Mm. she succeed? Would she do well? Um, You know, this is a church, because of its uh, size, where we're not reluctant to say, hey— we love you, but it didn't work out. Sure, you know, We've let other staff go before. We're not a church that just says, hey, if you come here, we're just going to keep you forever. So we're pretty good about evaluating and, uh, you know, making corrections and even saying this didn't work. So I didn't know how it would go, but it's actually been so much better than I could have ever imagined. In fact, I'm kind of kicking myself saying, uh, in all honesty, he's probably one of the best staff people, uh, that we have. And, uh, for her and I to interact, she preaches some. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, just for instance, the last time she preached, for you know, I probably spent an hour or more. I'm in Florida and we're talking on the phone and to walk through Scripture and how she's going to pull it apart and what her points are going to be. Sure. I, I, I hung up the phone thinking to myself, is there a, a, a greater privilege than this to be able to sit and talk with your kids about Scripture and how she's going to present it to this congregation of people who? are open and ready to listen. And I thought, boy, it don't get any better than this. Mm-mm. But at the same time, here's what I've noticed. And I I try to be as open as I can with the staff and with the elders about this. But I, I've also noticed I'm incredibly protective of her. That's just mm. a father's heart. So sure. uh, I know the criticism, the hurt, the pain of ministry. So when she gets criticized, boy, um, it's twice as difficult for me to handle as if somebody was criticizing me. So there is a You know, there's a front and a back door to that. There's a good and a joy beyond what I could have ever thought. Uh, But there's also some hurt, and it's deeper hurt. But I I found that that's ministry in general. Mm -hmm. Ministry has the highest highs out there. I don't think there's anything (laughs) greater than to be used as a tool in God's hand to lead somebody to Christ, grow them up in the faith. But for some reason, ministry has the deepest hurts with it as well. And I, I I thought I had experienced that in my own life, but I mm. I've experienced it in a new way. Right, Through a child, if you yeah. you know when your kid's in pain, how difficult that is on mom and dad. Uh, and again, not that she's experienced a lot of that, but when it's come, I, I just realized, wow, I, I got to check myself and where I'm at because it's it's profound. Yeah, I I
0: you, wow, just bringing that up. I thought about all the joys. Right? when when she's getting high fived and the message coming together and dad and daughter get to sit down and wrestle through a passage and the greatest joy in life is that your kids walk with with Jesus and then to be able to share a stage with them but you bring up something that's huge when your kids hurt you hurt bad we experience that in a whole different way My kids aren't old enough quite yet probably to to join me I try to get them to I try to you know talk them into it and whatever but yeah, when they hurt, you hurt. And uh my wife and I experienced some of that with our uh, 15-year-old daughter this fall. And wow, that is a pain that's hard to describe when when your child's hurt and so I I can understand what it has been like uh, having a child. Maybe I don't want my kids to come in a minute. Maybe that no, I I still do. I actually hired our 15-year-old at our office. You know, just small things. I fired her twice this year, but <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I did put her back on staff because I felt bad. But yeah. she is uh, 15. You know, obviously not quite the the age where you can ask them to do anything and they they do it. No, this is more the 15. And no, I'm not doing. Well, yeah, that's why you're here. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I thank you for bringing that up because that's something. A we can pray into and pray for. But yeah, just understanding the the realness of a pastor, but also a dad and and understanding that there is the back door to that. And, and maybe this will answer this question, but what's, what's the hardest part about being a pastor?
1: Yeah. My wife would probably say, uh, not having weekends off and certainly that's painful. Uh, but for me, if I got real honest with you, I'd say the hardest thing for me is staying in a first love relationship with Jesus. Hmm. I just think ministry comes out of the overflow of me being in a, a, a close, loving, vital relationship with Christ, and then ministry springs out. The problem with ministry, from my perspective, having done it for 37 years, mm-hmm. is you're constantly handling holy things, and they become a little bit mundane after a while, and mm-hmm. you begin to hydroplane yep. uh, through your relationship with the Lord, maybe your relationship with other people. And I just have to constantly have people around me and be self-motivated in that area to say, I got to stay in a first love relationship with Jesus. That's the only way mm-hmm. I've found that I can do genuine ministry. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's probably the thing that is constantly at the back of my mind saying, listen, it's not about a good sermon. It's not about uh, you know how the, this ministry grows. It's not about the new ministries we're developing. You, you need to be right with the Lord. And then I've seen that God does great things through that, but I think when pastors are constantly in the Word, constantly creating sermons, constantly being asked to open in prayer, that eventually the holy, uh, those things that are so precious and special to us that brought us into ministry, because we never felt closer to the Lord than the call of God on our life, and we're so excited about what it would do. but when you live in that so mm-hmm. much, you have to be very careful, I think, that it stays fresh and real and genuine and authentic uh, for me. And so for me, that's the hardest part of ministry, staying in that first love.
0: Mm, That's so good. Is that why sabbaticals are so important?
1: I I think they're critical. Um, And it was one of the things, this church has been so gracious, even as I talk about Lydia, uh, I've never been at a church that's been more gracious, more loving than Sunnybrook. I really haven't. And one of the things they provided very early on was to say, listen, every seven years, you're going to do a sabbatical. You know, uh, biblical in nature, kind of letting the ground lie and uh, spending some time alone with the Lord. So uh, this is actually my year of sabbatical. It's part of the reason, even though Lydia said I'm on vacation. (laughs) I I did uh, hear that. I'm really not. I was on (laughs) sabbatical, and I just used that time to refresh. They've also given me two weeks every year where I do nothing but sermon prep. Uh, Mm. I can't tell you how helpful that is for me. So there's somebody in our church that has this beautiful home in Silverthorne, Colorado, Mm. and they let me go stay there for two weeks, and I do nothing but work on sermons, outline series, so that when I come back, the, the fear always of ministry is, man, Sundays come with incredible regularity. So, yes. you know, if I don't know what I'm going to preach, I don't know where I'm going. You can waste days just going, watch it. I do? And then throwing that out. Mm-hmm. So for me to have two weeks to kind of plan and prepare, I, I literally give to our creative team, here's the entire year. Doesn't mean that if God speaks all of a sudden, we're going to change directions on a given Sunday, but at least we have a plan going into that. And then out of that, comes some rest and refreshment and renewal and time spent in prayer and time alone with the Lord that uh, gives ideas and those kinds of things and then uh, you know every seven years sabbatical uh, mm. is incredibly helpful so um, th- those kinds of things keep you fresh I I honestly think though it should be for more than pastors I recognize sure you, you know we have a difficult job but everybody has a difficult job and I, I think refreshment and renewal. Mm-hmm. I think it's paid huge dividends in the ministry of Sunnybrook Community Church because they were willing to make that kind of investment.
0: Well, you said er- earlier it comes out of the overflow, right? And if you're on empty,
1: it- it's tough to have an overflow. Exactly,
0: And and that is beautiful. My question with having the sabbatical, which is a beautiful thing because you get to get away, is it difficult to give up the stage, so <laughs> to speak?
1: Yeah, Um, not if you, not if you see it from a long-term perspective. I, I I really, um, I just, a lot of people have that. Um, the, the one gift that God's given to me is I don't have a lot of ego. I don't have a lot of need, um, to, to be on the stage. I I recognize that's one of my gifted areas. I recognize Mm -hmm. I want to do it and do it well. Um, but I don't have this tremendous burning when I'm not there to be there. I, I've always looked at ministry as a marathon, it's not a sprint. I, I think long-term ministry is really the only way to do ministry, and I think if you're constantly worried about, boy, just this Sunday and I got to be there, I, I, I think that ministry is going to be this flame that eventually flickers out. So I recognize, and I do about 40 Sundays a year, uh, our teaching staff, and I meet with them. We do a communicators workshop mm. once a month. All of the staff that communicate, whether you communicate in the youth ministry, or comi- uh, communicate in the auditorium on a Sunday morning. We meet with them. We critique each other. We mm. talk about what we do well, what we don't, what we need to work on. And so I feel as though whenever I leave, I've got trained, qualified people that are going to fill in for me. And I always think it's good to hear different voices. Sure. Um and, and, uh, and I think even if it's different, even though it's maybe not what they expected, mm-hmm. I, I think there's something good in that. And so um, God's used uh, most of our staff in some real powerful ways to be able to communicate, and I'm good with that.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I, I think there's so many leaders that that might not be in that place. I may be one of those, those leaders. And so when you say there's a, there's no ego involved in whatever else, just to, to be able to take the sabbatical, to take the rest, to prep, and then to help others, train them up, and, and share the podium, the platform, the stage, whatever you want to call it, is huge. Uh, that's all part of the discipleship program yeah. as we talk in churches today. So it sounds like your journey has been full, fun, uh, painful at times. We want to ask this question. If you could have anybody on your journey right now with you, who would that be?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I, let me give you the obvious. I I, I can't. I've done ministry, and I, I just want to emphasize that I've done ministry before without Jesus. Mm. And and I want to make it incredibly clear that uh, my greatest desire is to have him at my side in mm. regular day-to-day conversation uh, sought out for every decision I make. So I, I know that's probably obvious, and maybe that feels like a Sunday school answer, uh, but but I need him right. there. I do, and I've done ministry in my own strength and power. Just doesn't work, and, mm-hmm. and it wears me out. I, I certainly would acknowledge my wife again if she ever listens to this. She'd yeah. feel horrible <laughs> if I didn't say her. Uh, she really, in God's providence for me, has been the perfect partner. She Mm. doesn't play the piano. She doesn't, uh, you know, lead the choir. She's probably, when you'd see her, you'd say, boy, that doesn't seem like what I envision a pastor's wife to be, but she's perfect for me. She's Mm. an encourager, and at the same time, somebody that's gonna challenge me. Uh, She tells me when to stop when I'm working Mm. too much. She tells me when I need rest. She tells me when I need to be with a family. Um, So in God's providence, I I think much of my longevity in ministry and my still love for the Lord and for ministry is because of her. Um, But I have a a, a best friend. He was um, kind of the president of our elder board. Um, I just think you've got to have somebody in ministry that loves the Lord, understands ministry, that is a tangible, another guy for guys, Mm -hmm. a girl if you're a Mm -hmm. girl, that you can bounce things off of. So he's been incredibly helpful to me, even though he's a distance from me, lives in Indianapolis now. uh, We still, you know, we're together in Florida for a couple of weeks. I stayed at his place. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just something about him and about our camaraderie and our love for the Lord and his willingness to hold me accountable that's uh, incredibly beneficial. I have here an accountability partner that I meet with Mm -hmm. every single Friday. Uh, I've done that since day one that I arrived here. So it's been 20 years. Uh, His name is Ken Brandbold. Uh, He's a prayer warrior. Mm. Um, And he commits to pray for me. He loves me. He asks me accountability questions. He's probably 20 years older than me. Okay, Uh, But he loves me like a son. Um, And and I don't think I could do ministry, in all honesty, without him, without Mm -hmm. him, knowing there's somebody behind you, somebody praying for you, somebody holding you accountable, somebody that's texting me every week. Hey, what Mm. time? Friday are we getting together? Because we move the time around a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's been incredibly helpful. Um, And the other person I've always wanted alongside of me, and I've sought this out since my days in college, is a mentor. Mm. So everywhere I've been in ministry, whether it was youth ministry or whether I'm a senior pastor, I've always tried to find somebody in ministry that was one, two, three steps ahead of me, uh, in terms of maybe a bigger church, a bigger responsibility, greater impact. Mm-hmm. And then I've just been able to pick their brain. Um, and I don't know why God's been so gracious in that, but every place I've arrived, it's almost as if God had somebody set up for me hmm. that they'd go, hey, can we have breakfast sometime? And I end up going, "But this is going to be the person that's a few steps ahead of me, that Mm -hmm. maybe spiritually speaking, or ministry knowledge is ahead of me. Uh, Now we have somebody from North Point, uh, Andy Stanley's ministry, that's kind of become my mentor. And uh, I just think always having, no matter where you are or how long you've been in ministry or how wide and vast your ministry Mm -hmm. has become, there's somebody out there I think that you can learn from that can mentor you, and so I'm always gonna kind of stay in that submitted position before a mentor. I just think those kinds of people I want to take into the future in ministry with me. Oh, that's all that's awesome.
0: So so very good. John Maxwell, somebody that that I've had the opportunity to be around just a couple times. Uh, yeah, we'll will always talk about mentorship and when you spend time with a mentor having a notepad and pen just to write down and to learn from and when God gives you mentors, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, especially. And, and he always says, put people around you that that are better than you. Yes. You know, that's a Maxwell thought. And I do. I want people ar- around me that that are better than me, that can speak into my life. Also help us in ministry. That's why we're sitting here today to talk, about, to talk with you as you've been a part of Sunnybrook and taking it, you know, from 350 people to well over 350 people now where you're reaching out to the community. As we wrap up today, we're so grateful for your time, but we, we talk a lot about enjoying the journey, and we understand everybody's journey's uh, different. We all have different things that we're stressed out about, facing, could be brokenness or worry or fear. You can put whatever word you want into that statement. What advice would you hmm. give listeners today as we wrap things up?
1: Yeah, I think I would stick uh, with that thought of somebody in every sphere of life ministry, business, wherever it is, somebody that in two areas of your life can really care for you. And I think one is just, for me it'd be spiritual, but it Mm -hmm. could be just, you know, for the secular person it could just be this idea of mental health, but Mm. somebody who's going to keep tabs on you. sure. Somebody who you go to and say, listen, can you kind of be the person that either holds me accountable, that checks in with me, I just think having somebody in sort of that mental health. Uh, you know, spiritual area of life is critical. And then I think if, if you ever want to you know make an impact, make a difference again, whether it be in the business world or elsewhere, y- you've got to have somebody a few steps ahead of you mm-hmm. in some uh, area that you, from farming to ministry to business, yeah. where you go, listen, I, I, I think they've got some wisdom and, and I'm going to glean from them. And I think it's critical, too, that at points in times, um, you know, you don't take yourself too seriously. I've tried always just to remind myself, uh, I'm a child of God first, Mm. and then after that, now I do ministry, um, and never Mm. the other way around. I I just think whenever that gets flipped Mm. to the point that I think everybody sees me as a pastor first, Mm. uh, you can get into your head and all kinds of ego and difficulty come. I'm just trying to remind myself that God doesn't love me for what I do. He loves me because I'm his child. Mm -hmm. And out of that, then I think you can function in healthier ways. And for me, I need mentors. I need accountability people to remind me of that. Hey, Jeff, it's not about what you do for people. It's not about the fact that you're the pastor of Sunnybrook Community Church. You're a child of God first. And I think that's critical in ministry and in life.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for taking us on your journey. And we hope those of you listening, as always, find a little more joy in your journey. Thanks for tuning in to the Enjoying the Journey podcast brought to you by Rise Ministries. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and to follow Rise Ministries on any of our social media channels. Thanks for listening.